Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey guys, we're proud to be supporting our mates at Movember to raise awareness for men's mental health, suicide prevention, testicular cancer and prostate cancer. So to support the Hairy Month, we'll be featuring some chats on the podcast that delve deeply into people's personal experiences with their own mental health in sporting performance and in life. This week, it's Shannon Worrell, a big wave surfer from down south, Western Australia. He surfed the world's biggest barrel in 2017 some one-on-one encounters with great whites and everything but in between. It's a great chat. I loved it. I'm sure you will too. If you're not subscribed to us as a podcast on YouTube, find us at Backchat Studios or follow us on Instagram, Backchat Double Underscore. This podcast in particular contains conversations around mental health and suicide. So if you or anyone you know needs support, please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14. For more ways to support a mate who might be struggling, visit movember.com slash spot the signs. Lots of love and care from the team at Backchat. As always, enjoy it. Backchat powered by Fleet Network. We are, well, I am at least, and you should be as well, listeners. We're very, very happy to have the great man sitting in front of us, Dan Const. Mm, I'm very happy. Shannon Worrell joins us today on the show. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Shannon. Thanks for having us today, hey? Now, sometimes people sit across from us and people go, oh, he's won a brown, though. He's won a, a premiership. He's He or she's done this and that. You may not know much about Shannon, but I think – Perhaps we're about to dive into some of the most compelling and interesting stories we've had on the podcast here True. at Backchat. How about that for, for a little intro? Yeah, no, no pressure. No pressure at all <laughs> pumped on me there. <laughs> but oh, look, mate, I've been wanting to chat to you for a long time. We've been connected across families and uh, spent a little bit of time together, but uh, looking forward to getting into this one with you. You're a, Look, we start the podcast every time with the same question, and I'm, I'm going to tell you we're starting it the same way as well. Um, we know, or at least I know, you're a, you're a big wave surfer. You surf big waves. You go fishing. You go diving. You're a waterman, right? And we know that. That's More great. comfortable in the water on land. Correct. For sure. And that's all. That that's all good. Okay. You surfed the biggest wave in the year in 2017. Okay. Yeah. All right. Dan and I haven't done that, but right <laughs> now we don't care. I want to know your greatest sporting achievement, not on the water. Right, you've you've done a lot of things. We're there. talking athletics or with a ball. Or oh, mate, we're talking whatever you like with a pigeon. <laughs> if you've got that, <laughs> we're going to keep that on the DL. Um, There's got to be some time over your life where you weren't surfing I, waves, fishing, diving. If I had to pick it, I was. Um, it's been that long since I've been in school, but you know when you're 
at school you have the athletics carnivals yes. and the rest of it. So I was faction captain nice. of gold. Very good. Um, down gold. in Esperance. Yeah, well. gold. Three colours. There was red, gold, blue and yellow. Wow. I think it was. Yellow was gold. Yeah. Green. <laughs> Green was the other one. But, um, yeah, I remember, you know, 50 metre sprint, giving it a red hot nudge. But, you know, when there's always one person that pips you, <laughs> you've yeah. got this nemesis. Do you remember his name? Yeah. Brent Byrne. <laughs> Brent Byrne. <laughs> Just in case you're out there, Brent, it's like, you know, probably 30 years later and I'm still. Did you beat him or he got you? No, always number two, mate. Always number two off the rank for about two or three years. Just nail me, Brent Byrne. Can so I could never take out Champion Boy. So no, number two, I reckon, so he was, on the 50-metre sprint he was, was probably the one. Gold faction ca uh, captain. Uh, second in the 50 metre sprint Brent to Byrne. Brent Byrne, you motherfucker. <laughs> my, my guy was James Tchaikovsky. You got one of those Always, guys. always. Yeah. But then what I discovered was just don't be fast in the heats and then you go into the race not against the guy that always beats you and yeah, then but you then, win the other one. Yeah, but that's not the final. You're now in the Divi 2 no, they, final. No, because in school you used to, they used to do like two set. Anyways, James Stephen, Stephen Wishart was mine. <laughs> and Stephen <laughs> told me, yeah, yeah, Stephen Wishart taught me how to win. Yep. Because I would be that shattered. Like it's turned me into the competitive person I am. <laughs> I would come home from school sports and we did little athletics together and we did we competed at state. He would just beat me in everything. But there was the day where I beat Stephen Wishart. You got him. Oh, yeah. And he told you how to do it. No. Did you say that? <laughs> uh, I love that you're just not, you're not an athlete whatsoever. <laughs> He taught me by beating me, mate. Right. He I would, thought you meant like one day, Paul, you say, mate, what? I know that's 10 what meters to go. He taught me <laughs> by beating me. That's right. my my lesson. My school was seeing the back of Stephen Wishart for about right. 10 years of my life. What's he doing now? Until I beat him. Who knows what? Who knows Shout what? out Stephen Wishart. Correct. Let's and get Brent into Byrne. let's get into our guest. <laughs> uh, another little question we like rolling out before we get into things, Shane, is uh, we, we are powered by Fleet Network here, our good friends at Fleet Network, Novated Leasing Specialists here in Perth. Um, we like knowing about your first car. Can you remember your first car, what it was, yeah, mate? I color? do, actually. What did you drive? Dual Cab Hilux. Wow. Yeah. That's a good With one. A that, feels, that feels quite good. Yeah, it was awesome. It was kind of, um, you know, because I was born and raised down in Esperance there. So having a four-wheel drive was just like the perfect thing to get. So I remember, yeah, the Dual did, Cab Hilux. Did you awesome. have to have it? Like did you have to have a four-wheel drive? When yeah, to do anything fun. To do any, anything fun, like you can drive on all the beaches down there, you know, fishing, surfing and diving all over the place. So you had to have one. You um, couldn't have a two-wheelie. What colour was it? White. And then I got these sick little pints put down the side <laughs> to yeah, it. Yeah, nice. sprayed. How yeah. much did that cost? Would have been a fair bit. I got it given to me by my old man right. after working for about a year for him. It was kind of, you know, old school Esperance, work for a year. Yeah, I'll give you a car, mate. There nice. You so you you told it there, uh, Esperance. You grew up down the deep, dark south of Western Australia. What's what's life growing up in Esperance like? Yeah, there ain't too many folks down there back there. <laughs> 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 <I've>, um, <laughs> no, it was really special to be honest. It's kind of having that cut country upbringing. It's I reckon it, you know, as well as grounding you, just being in nature down there, like Esperance. You know, I'm 44 nowadays. Being down in that kind of nature was absolutely next level. Mm. You know, there was so much, and it's still now, it's quite untouched, but back then it was just pristine everywhere. So we were, I guess, doing a lot of pioneering because technology was just starting to kick in, full drives getting better. Yeah. And all of a sudden we ended up, you know, with boats and jet skis. And I remember my old man, it was pretty good. Because um, I've always, 
I probably diversed my sports. I love my fishing and diving as much as my surfing. And my old man, he was just a surfer. And so I remember at 16, I'd saved up a fair bit of coin, um, left school at 15 and, uh, you know, straight, straight into the workforce and then saved a bit of money up. At 16, I bought a 21-foot boat with twin 85s. Holy shit. And I just remember the old man reversing me down at the ramp, you know, it was 16 because I didn't have a license to tow it. And he's going, <laughs> just don't go too far. You know, so I'm with my mate, <laughs> hammers down on this thing. And, you know, there's 186 islands or something or other down there. And we were just, you know, the adventure begun kind of from there. Sounds it was amazing. Nuts. It was, yeah, it was such, so fortunate to have that kind of upbringing. It was pretty nuts. Yeah, so you're, you're a sibling. Like, we, were, were, were your brothers and sisters, was it just sort of mum, dad go, like that sort of thing? Like, you know, don't stuff up, we're worried about you, but also you're, you're on your own a bit and we, we trust you. Probably just a bit of ignorance of how far <laughs> we were going to push it on their behalf, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> the boys are just taking yeah. the boat out for a spin next minute, you're down in Antarctica. Yeah, and because, he, because he wasn't a boating man, I don't think he had a real concept of, you know, what could be done with those things. So, yeah, it was trouble fire. But, you know, Wild Wild West, you know, we're in West Australia 30 years ago mm. and, you know, you, everyone was seemed to be a bit harder. You know, so you, you didn't think there wasn't all the PC and safety protocols in place. It was yeah. learn by bumping your head and try not to die along the way. It's a big, like, stretch forward, but you as a dad now, do you look back at the upbringing you were given and trying to sort of entail the best parts of what you experienced as a kid into your kids? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Like, a lot's changed and I definitely, you know, everyone clings on if they think they've got something good Mm. out of thing to try to replicate that in their kids so definitely do that um and the biggest one is trying to let go because you give so much of you care so much especially for like their safety and what's going on that it's hard to let them push their boundaries whereas um i try to run the concept if it's going to kill them i'll pull them up <laughs> but if they're just going to break an arm or a leg then i'll i'll let them go for it and learn <laughs> because you know, I think that's how you accelerate your experience and your learning curves. Um, you're going to bump your head. So trying to stop them from bumping their head is not a good idea, I don't think. It sounds like you were introduced to the water pretty early on um, down in Esperance, uh, as we mentioned off the top. Uh, you've, you've turned your talents to big wave surfing la you know, later in life, but surfing and, and fishing and assuming like camping and full driving, all that sort of stuff. Like when does that start? Is that – as you was a kid with dad or? hundred percent. It was yeah. just part of the culture, especially mm. down there. It was like before I turned, you know, I was maybe 12, 13 and then had an older brother that had his license. We're out every weekend out one of the remote beaches with surfboards and fishing rods and campfires and not swags back then, board bags, just board, sandy board <laughs> bags <laughs> with pillows pretty much. But, uh, yeah, so it was just part of how we grew up. And then it was only, it's only later in life that I've kind of figured out how rare that was mm. and the experiences that we were having. Um, and, like, with the big wave stuff and the rest of it, that just spending that much time in the ocean and in those environments, just how comfortable it made you in, in being pushed, I guess, a little bit harder than normal. Did you, like, own spots on the beach that was just yours and your family's, like – just in those areas? Yeah, well, you didn't have to compete with anyone. There wasn't really, you know, or if you did see someone, they'd be your mates and you'd be happy for them to pull up next to you, you know. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, we'd go, you'd go camping for a week and not see anyone at some of the beaches down there. So, be yeah, you'd almost be looking for company a lot of the time. <laughs> Does, like, I, I associate um, 
you know, a lot of the things that you're doing in a, as an adult now is like risk-taking and maybe you don't. Um, abalone diving, big wave surfing, uh, even the entrepreneur stuff that you're doing now with shark eyes, which we'll get into a bit later. For me, they're risk-taking activities. Do you, do you attribute that to growing up? Like to because you you cut you, whether you accept it or not, you cut differently to most people that are walking around day to day. Yeah, and I, I think I've only just figured that out in the last couple of years, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's, it was interesting growing up um, because you know I'd come and catch up with my friends in the city a little bit later, and we'd go and do some things, and I'd go, why, why the heck aren't you wanting to do this? And I didn't have that cog. I couldn't literally understand why they weren't doing some of the same things. Um, but, yeah, definitely, you know, there's the risk-taking bit, but I guess through experience too, you know, talking about the kids and get, learning them to bump their head and mm. pushing them in the deep end kind of, even with the big wave stuff nowadays, it's really calculated. Like uh, for the first few years it wasn't so calculated and we're just getting, you know, pretty pretty mad men just going for it. But it's got a lot more calculated and the risk-taking, we put so many things in place nowadays and with training and jet skis and safety equipment and backup teams and all that kind of stuff that it really has, you know, taken out a lot more of the risk, Yeah, I, I think. Right. But you've got to – you can see it in someone's eyes if they're going to go or not. Like they've got that cog right. for sure still. So let's um, – there's a few sort of avenues I want to take today. Um, you know, you sort of mentioned it about the diving, the abalone fishing, like that was you, you know, you left school and then you go into the workforce and I'm assuming it's probably down that path. Yeah, well, I did a lot of building work as well too. So right. I was loving the ocean. So I was ab diving and doing building work off and on. So there was different stages, you know, between, you know, 15 and 30 where I was, yeah, doing a bit of building but ab, ab diving along the way as well. So – I think we'll circle back on the diving element um, and like tie it all in together at the end, but sticking with surfing. So no one, as far as I know, starts surfing big waves. Like as in you don't like rock up at the beach as an eight-year-old and like start getting pitted by 50-foot waves. No, not normally. Normally there's a little bit of a building process yeah. there. Yeah. So, so what is that, you know, talk to me about, you know, your love of surfing because I'm assuming you love surfing and then how does that transition to surfing the big ones? Yeah, so I guess, you know, when you're in nature to start with, everyone's been at the top of a mountain looking over, just seeing this amazing view or, you know, or if you love your diving, you know, the silence and the beauty of the underwater world and, you know, surfing's no different. I think when you have those moments in nature, it just soothes you and calms you and it, it attracts to you. So the surfing, I guess, is just, it's a bug. You know, once you feel the glide, and, you know, just that movement over water, after you feel that for the first time you're hooked. And then I guess the earlier, that happened pretty early for me because my dad and older brothers were, or older brother was a surfer. Mm. So, you know, after you feel that, you're just hooked and then you can't think of anything else. And then when you're young, you know, we lived, you know, running distance from the beach and it was just go, go, go. So rain, hail or shine, you were spending as much time in there as you could. And then the natural progression is... It's not a natural progression because not everyone does <laughs> yeah. it. It's your progression. Yeah, yeah. It might not be the natural progression then. So I know. Yeah, my, my, yeah, yeah. Your my, progression. Yeah. And I was always, I guess, even looking at my older brother, like he was a more technical surfer. He was like one of the best surfers, full stop, um, technically and competition surfer. Whereas he'd go and get 30 waves, you know, and I'd be sitting there out the back even when I was younger and I'd get 
four or five waves to his 30. Right. And so that was, yeah, so probably even from young, I probably had that just sit around, enjoy it more and then make it count when it does come. Do you remember, um, you know, for people that, you know, we're, we're a sporting podcast, people might not understand snurfing. I certainly don't um, to an extent. Um, it's very different surfing a big wave when you paddle out to it in opposed to the really big waves where you're getting towed on on a jet ski. Yeah. Do you remember difference. Do you remember your first jet ski tow-in wave? Yeah, yeah, definitely do. It was radical. And that, that sent me in the whole next, you know, development of chasing big waves, that was for sure. What's the difference? Tell us what, what So happened. when you're paddle surfing, you're under the propulsion of your own fitness, basically. You're using your arms. The waves are moving at a certain rate and generally – up to a certain height, you can catch those waves. And then the bigger the wave gets, the more buoyancy that you need to be able to propel yourself with your arms. So you use a longer board to catch a bigger wave and then you're using your arms, you know. So then that the limitation of that is once the wave gets big and you stand up on, say, a 10-foot board, the manoeuvrability of that 10-foot board is then lost, you know, because it's you've got so much surface area and it's slapping out in front of you. Whereas when the jet skis kicked in, all of a sudden you didn't need to use your arms to catch the waves anymore. The waves that are bigger are moving a heck of a lot faster. So then you could ride equipment too that had less buoyancy and less surface area. So it was like, you know, having a Model T going around a racetrack versus an F1. Right. All of a sudden you're on this equipment that you can high performance in big waves, whereas up to that point it was kind of... And I love the purity of paddling, don't get me wrong, it's man against ocean and big waves and that's it's very pure, that feeling. But I think I'll do that when I start running out of steam a bit more. <laughs> At the moment I still want to wanna see what I can do, mm. see what I've got left in the tank in the F1. What, um, what sort of level does it become a big wave that you need the jet ski for? Is it? Or is that at the moment that you need a jet ski that it's considered a, like a big wave surf as opposed to just a, a big wave? It'd be depending on who you ask. Like the purists are still trying to push, you know, boards and push their their power. But the conditions sometimes, so you could have a 30 or 40 foot wave, but the conditions are just not really there to paddle. So, for instance, the wind will be blowing up the wave, coming against you, getting under 10 foot of board, and it just blows you off the back. So you just physically can't catch those waves because the wind's too you know, blowing too much. But on the jet ski, small surface area, even when those windy conditions are there, you can still catch that wave and surf well. But then there's another level of waves, which is next level again, which are commonly called slabs, which is basically really, really shallow reef where the water draws that hard that you physically can't paddle down it anymore because the water's moving that fast. And that's that's what I love probably the most is when it, the water's moving that quick and that fast that you just can't paddle it. And then that's when the technology of surfboard design, jet skis, and then high performance all comes into one. And then it's a different sport altogether in that slab environment. What's that very first wave like you get towed on to, though? Is it is it a completely different experience? Like big you, time. And you're going you like, what the fuck's going on here? Big time because you're putting yourself in situations yeah. and there's speeds and you're on equipment that when you haven't experienced that, you just it's literally like driving, you know, yeah. driving around a an, an F1 versus a flaming wow. little V-dub van, you know. It's it's crazy. So to actually learn how to control that, manoeuvre it, drive it, and then the capabilities of what that can do, you can put yourself in some radical positions. So you're scared? 
Um, different days, different feelings, I think. Um, you know, you probably know it's like if you've got a niggling injury or something or you, you know, you know you're not at peak performance, you know, and getting a little bit older so the injuries take a little bit longer to come back from nowadays. <laughs> but when you've got something niggling at you and you know you're not on on point, there's there's definitely a little bit of fear in there. So can sure. that be mental? Like you're talking about injuries, but can that be – can you not oh, be mentally right? Men- oh, 100% it's mental game. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like you see guys – have you heard of a guy called Ross Clark Jones? He's a big wave surfer. Yep. Like he's not the fittest guy in the universe nowadays. He's just got a lot of experience under the belt. But his mind game is just – he doesn't care. <laughs> you know, he's just radical. Um, so he'll go and surf massive waves still. And – the mental game when you're underwater, um, and this is so applicable for guys. I think it might have talked in the past, like because we do a lot of training on our mental game and positive mental anchors and how to actually calm yourself under pressure. And if you don't do that in the big wave game, the outcome is you're going to die pretty much. And the time period of you bringing the revs in your body back down, you're just chewing oxygen just flat out, and, and that's all mental. So at that stage, it's not physical at all. It's 100% mental. When you're underwater getting absolutely smashed, it's totally in your head whether or not you're going to survive or not. So the the payoff is the feeling, the adrenaline, the I – don't, I don't know what. I haven't ex- experienced it, but the hitting a wave and, and nailing it. But what you're talking about now is the, the risk, which is yeah, yeah, falling yeah. off. How, how long are you under what's, – what's, what's some story – is there a story that – you can tell about being held under and why it's mental and not physical. Yeah, so it's a combination. Obviously, you got to you got to be fit, and you know mm. the fitter you are, the less oxygen you're burning, and you know your recovery times in between performances. You know, so I I really try to get technical with how I break it down now with that kind of thing. But um, yeah, some of the wipeouts. There was one that was filmed on a drone uh, down on the south coast uh, that was forty six seconds. Um, which was a wipeout that was and falling off on a big wave. And that might not sound like a long time, but when you've been under exertion for, you know, a minute or two before prior to catching the wave, you know, you're up on a jet ski and you're bouncing around, you know, using all your big muscles, your arms and your hammies and the rest of it. And then sometimes when you hit the water, it feels like concrete when you're doing 50 or 60 k's an hour. So... Sometimes that'll, you know, you'll expel all your air as well. Yeah, you're not as getting well big, as getting beat up. You're not doing breathing, um, you know, yeah. lessons or, uh, you know, excursion uh, experiments while you're on the wave. You're just surfing <laughs> yeah. and, then you, and then you're off, right? Yeah, yeah. And you don't, so you don't get that prep work and then you feel like, you know, Flamin' Andre the Giant's going and grab you and he's <laughs> trying to rip limbs off. So at that moment, <laughs> so there's a physical bit prior to it. And, you know, we can preload with oxygen and we have breathing techniques um, for recovery, you know, for quicker recovery and all those kind of things. And I implement all of those things before I'll go into a performance. Um, but then once you're under, you you are no longer in control. Mother Nature is going to let you know when it's ready to let you go. So that's when it becomes instantly the mind game, 100% mind game. And if you panic and you stress, you chew through your oxygen so much faster that your ability to hold your breath will be shortened dramatically. So when you hit, even though it's everything has turned to absolute crap around you, that's when you've got to be the strongest ever so and be in control. That specific 
46. What are you thinking? That that's can you remember? Yeah, for sure. I have a routine that I go into. Um, so pretty much when I first, if I hit the water and you know it's sometimes you know when it's going to be really bad or it's going right. to be a little bit bad. Right. And when you know it's going to be really bad, yeah, I think everyone redlines like in that first, you know, instant, oh, shit, I've just gone and put myself somewhere really bad. So then straight away I go, I have to acknowledge that I'm redlining and then bring it back into, you know, okay, you've got this. And then there's a series of things that I do. Um, and I start with body scanning um, and just trying to relax. Quite often it's really violent. So first up I'll get my nose, uh, you know, try to equalise because quite often your eardrums are trying to get blown out because the pressure of the waves. Mm. <clears throat> Pardon me. And then after equalising it subsided just a little bit where you're not getting arms and legs ripped off, quite often you can be 10 or 15 metres deep. So that pressure, if you've equalised, your ears haven't blown, then it's like, okay, there could be another wave coming through. I could be there for a long time. So I try to go to sleep. As crazy as that sounds, I body scan and I'll go through all of my big muscles. I'll start by wriggling my jaw and then that kind of signals that, I'm okay, I need to relax. And then I'll go through my muscles, my arms and my legs and I'll just go through each one to, to let it relax. And then I look in the back of the eyelids and then you just try to go to sleep. Like do you, you're just you just tucked into a ball or something, closing your eyes and you're just waiting for it to end? Initially I'll go, I'll hold one arm in. If I can get to an arm, because sometimes you can't get to an arm. So if you're in one of those spots, I'll try to hold it in and go for your nose so you can equalise, so your eardrums yep. don't blow, because that, that leads to a whole other yeah. set of problems. Um, and then as soon as I can let go, then it's into body scan mode and go to sleep. And then yeah. how do you wake up? Hopefully <laughs> when you hit the surface. And right. then, um, yeah, and then at that stage. And then this is this is the crazy thing that I can't believe uh, some of, you know, you guys aren't on, aren't on to these uh, when you're running and all the rest of it. There's a recovery breathing technique. Basically, you know, at the end of the wipeout, all your legs are just absolutely buried. You know, you can't move your arms or legs because of the, all the lactic acids just built up that much. And there's a barrier between having enough oxygen and blacking out, and that can be 10 seconds. So you could come up to the surface, get a breath in, but then still pass out 10 seconds later. This is why you'd see the free diving guys that are hitting the world records. They go down 100 metres, come back up, and then you'll see them. And they've got to give the okay sign and then they get the world record. But to give that okay sign, it has to be a certain period of time that they've right. got to stay conscious for. And they use a technique called hook breathing, which is like a... They just get one breath in. But they hold that pressure and it, that pressure in the lungs makes that gas exchange happen really quick, the CO2 and O2. So that gas exchange is just happening really quick. Yes. Um, whereas we've developed a technique that it's a bit quicker than that um, and there's a certain ratio where you're punching in that oxygen because the intervals between performance we have, if you could imagine there's a wipeout and a, you're potentially getting another one, sometimes you might only get five or ten seconds. So it's so important for us to maximise and punch in that O2 into us so we can survive. Um, and we've, we've done that so efficiently nowadays. Um, but, yeah, it's crazy, it's crazy that the sports guys aren't onto it yet. Well, 
Um, as you're talking about breathing, um, you can get a drink of water in. Um, I, it just makes me think. So 2018, um, Jeremy McGovern injured in the prelim, massive internal bleeding. So they sort of describe like a car accident, big knee in the ribs and, and in, the, in the organs, and, he, and the blood was between his skin and the muscle, and they, they couldn't get it out no matter what they did. Yeah, We had a guy at the footy club, um, Steve Gravina, who uh, now runs his own clinic. Um, we may get him on the podcast at one stage. He had he, – he's right into sort of, you know, uh, everything that's not just the norm. He likes discovering and looking what how he can do things better. Yeah. And at the time he'd been really getting mm-hmm. in, and looking into the Wim Hof like breathing methods. Yep. And I know for a fact that Jezza talks about the Wim Hof breathing. Stevie basically for that week had him doing Wim Hof sessions. And, yep. Um, and I know that's not the same as what you're talking about, but the breathing element and the oxygen and what it can do to your body. body. Gov talks about that as something that got him up ability to play from like both a f- physical point of view, the oxygen element, mm. but also the mental strength. Massively. So we, <clears throat> once again, like I say, we're not, I used to go in, you know, guns blazing everywhere, but we, there's so much of a protocol that I use when I go into big wave surfing nowadays. And the breathing is like, you know, breathing a mind game, like I said, it's, it's what keeps you alive. So <clears throat> that's the risk and the held under. And you were plucked out, clearly. You're sitting with us right now. Does a jet ski come pick you up? Yeah, luckily I've had a couple of times where just really good guys who you who you hang out with and who you have on, on your team make all the difference of whether you get home or not. Did, you, did yeah. you watch that back? The, you said it was captured on a drone. Yeah. that wasn't. What's, what's it like watching... That wasn't a bad one for me mentally. That was just I had a number related to that 46 seconds. That was yep. – well, I've had worse ones where it's like, yeah, you're busted and unconscious almost, yeah, right. where where guys have helped you get out get out of the water. Without them you're dead? Yeah, yep, probably. Mm. Probably. There's two instances that stand out in particular, you know, one, one – or yeah, both of those instances. If I didn't have good help there – very much best case scenario would have been a recess, you know, let mm. alone probably a re- retrieval, you know. How do they, how, sorry, how do they even know where you are? Because it's like there's that much water, right? Yeah, it's so difficult. But technology's got a little bit better. So we wear hard foam under our wetsuits too. So we've got these impact suits, which are actually like a life jacket, but shaped to your body kind of. So if you do get knocked out, you're still going to float. So at least they've got a chance of retrieving you. And then in the last handful of years too, we use other equipment, which is an inflation vest where, you know, your CO2 canisters they put on the bike. So it's basically a life jacket that goes over top CO2 canisters and then you've got the eject button where you can blow that up as well too and and come to the surface. Wow. So if you're conscious, you're generally floating even if you're in trouble. I know the thing that jumps to my mind, um, and I, I told you before this that we'd just be going in all sorts of directions. but. Yeah. <laughs> so you're speaking about those incidents. I know you've had other instances where your life is at risk and it's like literally life and death, not you know, bullshit you see on movies. Like you're talking about instances in your life where you may have died. Yeah. And it's quite likely should have or could have. Yeah. What's that like to talk about? Have you have you yeah. always been able to talk about that? No, def- definitely not. Like five, six years ago, um, wouldn't have been a chance in heck I would have ever have been in front of a camera or talking to guys openly about any of my experiences, you know, it's wild, wild west brought up in Esperance, you know, farm, farm hmm. country boy. Uh, yeah, so definitely a couple of experiences in my life are definitely of 
opened me up, I guess, to be able to communicate about stuff. And then the benefits of it personally have been awesome. But then probably realisation too that uh, I know no one's a guru, but seen a fair bit nowadays. So if there's on the off chance I can, you know, help someone surf a bit better or, you know, get through, you know, a few mental health issues or whatever when you've seen a bit and bits and pieces like that, that's probably made me made me be happy to talk about things, you mm. know, and losing the ego. I don't I don't really care too much um, about what does or doesn't happen nowadays. So hopefully it's just more so if I can maybe help along the way, you know, then that's that's opened opened me up. You hear that a lot from people, I think it's like talking and sharing helps people from a mental side. I've heard you speak and I know you you know well enough that you've had some like trauma in your life. As and you're talking about it wasn't always easy to talk about. Are you comfortable speaking about any of those traumatic things that, you know, cause those What are you gonna do to me here, Will? Thought <laughs> <laughs> we're coming in to talk about <laughs> a surf <laughs> We've got some chains coming here. Yeah. <laughs> Strap you, you up. You might have to crack one of those shelter beers. The reason I asked, <laughs> the reason I asked because, and I, I don't have, I don't have moments like you, but I, you know, I've had, I've had moments in my life where I look as traumatic. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be getting held down by a big wave. And people who listen to this won't have surfed big waves. It's almost certain. There's not many people in the world that do it. Won't be abalone divers. They won't be, you know, you. But people have had traumatic events in their life, so. I don't know if you have any that you know spring to mind that have been big moments in your life. That yeah, for sure. There's definitely you know those big moments. I think shape you. And as crazy as it is, I I believe they're good for you nowadays um, because when you're under the pump, that's when you learn the most about yourself, and you're forced to either crumble or make change to rise above. Mm. Yeah, so and like I said, yeah, so where where if you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to deep dive if you. It's all right. We do have a full. Sure. We yeah. do have a full fridge of shells. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say might be early, but after. yeah, like, bottles of I'd whiskey. I have to crack well. one after for sure. Well, yeah. So there's yeah, a couple of things. What are you chasing in particular? No, you tell me. Like <laughs> um, I, I'm, I, I don't want to guide you. In, you know, I, I, I think you'll know the moments well, that have, have really affected you. you know, well, yeah. Well, deeply. Yeah. Well, I guess you know if you're looking for life changing moments, I had an older brother. Um, you know, and everyone who's had an older brother understands, I guess, when you're a younger brother, as long as he's a good guy, you kind of idolise your older brother as you're growing up, you know. And my older brother, he was an amazing surfer, amazing, you know, lovable character uh, and just, yeah, one of the, one of the most well-loved guys, you know. So I was, you know, um, so definitely, uh, you know, if I'm one of the most uh, life-changing moments was probably I was 18 years old um, and he took his life. He was 25 um, and my, uh, what's the words, uh, experience was that with that was a little bit different uh, to everyone else in the families and around us too because I, uh, I found him as well. So that that is probably, I don't know if that one's deep enough for you, mate, <laughs> just to get right well, into it. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, so that. You know, when you're talking about pivotal moments and life changing, when you're 18 years old, you're just starting to find your feet in life. You know that that one mm. was definitely pretty hard hitting and shaped shaped a lot of my years for sure. And you you look back now and how you handled that um, 
was what it was at the time. Like, it was, and you, I handled it absolutely terribly. Oh, you can imagine. For, you know, and this is why, you know, when you asked a little bit earlier about, you know, talking about things and the rest of it, it's like I, I didn't talk about anything at mm. all for 20 years, you know, after, after that, you know, so yeah. or 15, 20 years after and there wouldn't be a chance in heck I'd be sitting here on a mm. with a microphone in front of in front of me talking about it, um, and, unless I thought there was going to be some good potentially come out of it as well, you know. So yeah, yeah. So but, what what changed that allowed you to start speaking about it? Um, to, like to be honest, time was one of the big things, and you know, I know when you're in traumatic situations or you've got something going on, it can be so consuming. I think, and sometimes there's own nothing else apart from time eases outlooks and outlooks on things um but then you know for 10 years or 15 years like i was saying i was you know acting out i was a bit being a bit of a dick on many fronts you know and probably the big wave kind of stuff in the ocean was a release for me and that probably led to me pushing a lot harder as well too um because for quite a few years i was like you know I'd look at the biggest guy and go, come on, mm. you know, you want a challenge? I've got, I've got everything in the tank and I'm willing to give everything. So, you know, and I'd looked at the ocean like that as well too, right. which was, um, you know, not a healthy outlook. You know what I mean? You don't no. want to challenge Mother Nature especially. <laughs> you get humbled pretty quick. But um, to get that chip off the shoulder, man, it was a long, long time. And, you know, I was I acted like an idiot for a uh, quite a few years, but, you know, from the outside looking in, I probably looked like I was having a fun life. I was travelling around the world, doing a heap of surfing and chasing and partying and, but, you know, it's like the duck underwater, you know, the legs underneath and my mind was just, just going flat out. So probably meeting a good woman helped for sure. My wife, Heather, she's, um, you know, an amazing woman. So, you know, with, you know, a different who you hang out with, and you're who you associate with, I think you can be, if you are around people that um, are going to take you down a path that's not conducive to, you know, being healthy if you're drinking too much or alcohol and drugs and partying and that kind of thing, it's it's one-way ticket with, with mental health. Mm. Um, whereas if you're, you know, hanging out with some yogis, doing some <laughs> stretching and eating some good food, just the difference in your mindset. You know, and we all have heard all these things and, you know, before, but to practically implement them, just one good decision at a time, not thinking a year or two ahead and how hard everything is, but like waking up in the morning going, okay, I'm going to start my day with an apple cider vinegar and a bit of lemon, you know, (laughs) (laughs) versus I'm going to crack a scotch on the rocks because I'm down and out. Just winning one little decision at a time and... I, I re-found faith as well too, which I think is a big one. Um, and I, I think if people, you know, that have traumas or have big losses, sometimes start asking hard questions again and going, just wait a minute, what the heck is all this about? And I was brought up with a, you know, religious background. And I think, um, yeah, having, having a belief um, in something bigger than yourself, I think was a massive, massive help as well too. It's really, I appreciate you sharing the story, mate, because, you know, there is um, an element of relevance to, well, both of us actually, but, you know, um, the brother stuff, my brother Jace passed away not too too long ago and, 
you know, it's always different circumstance though, isn't it? But I guess the point I was trying to make with the trauma stuff is you don't have to have gone through something like you have or me or Dan or there would be people listening that the trauma in their life is, you know, losing a job, which which is is bad. It, 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 it's, it's actually exactly yeah. right. Um, <clears throat> the advice about, you know, to do one, one step at a time with that sort of thing, um, like you said, you couldn't speak about it for 20 years. Would that be something that you would tell your younger self as a, you are right now, like try to start ticking some boxes. Like, like I'm just wondering what you'd tell younger Shannon. Yeah, probably don't take self so seriously for one. Yeah. And when you're thinking about yourself, it's so indulgent you're going to end up depressed. You mm. know, it's when you start thinking about others is when you, you get over that. You know what I mean? I was so in my own head for such a long period of time. Everyone was the focus, you know, all you can think about is yourself sometimes and how you feel and what's going on. And that's just not going to end up anywhere good at all. Whereas, you know, the whole act, belong, commit and service to others, acts of service to others, I think that's as good as things get. And so then your focus shifts onto not how you're feeling. It's like what the heck's going on around me, mm. you know, how can I help them or what's going on with them and the less time you can think about yourself the better. And that's such a hard process to do though when you're, in the thick of yeah, yeah, whatever it is you're going through, I can imagine. Um, but can't you know? And we appreciate you sharing it. I I want to I want to keep some positivity here because I know yeah, you're a bloody for sure. like like and and we'll keep going up and down. You win the Tube of the Year Big Wave Awards in 2017. You yeah, are, yeah. you have surfed the biggest wave in the world. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty radical radical experience. Um, yeah, that was awesome, actually. Like uh, I've never gone out to try to do anything like that, um, you know, and that was, I guess, a side, something that happened just due to what I was doing, if that makes sense. Mm. Like because we live in West Oz, like we're saying, and we're fortunate enough to have some of the biggest, best waves in the world here. Um, and I, that's probably why I love it so much here as well too. But, um, yeah, we weren't, I wasn't going to chase an award or anything. We were just going for a surf. Um, and at a few of the bigger locations in WA, you know, on any given day, you know, because these big wave events, they only happen, you know, two or three times a year maybe where you really get a crack at everything aligning. The swell is coming in from the right direction. The wind is blowing but not too strong and it's from the right direction. The tide's right. All a culmination of so much has to come together to actually get that perfect day. Right. And... So after you've been in the game for a little while, that's they're the days that you hunt. There's probably, you know, 50 guys around the world that have global, you know, insight into where these big waves are and some, you know, it might be three or four years at a big wave destination that it doesn't even really fire a proper shot. Right. And then so everyone knows the conditions and then they converge onto a location and, you know, like I said, I'm not a paid surfer, you know, that's going out trying to win awards and make a career, but I love my big waves and the rest of it. So, yeah, so we're there we were this day. It had all come together and then, there was, you know, every man and his dog, there's probably 25 skis. Right, so everyone had converged. It wasn't just everyone out for a had, surf and there happened to be a big wave. No. Everyone knew it was on. We, yeah, we were going for a surf, but everyone else was there to <laughs> win awards and <laughs> – and do all those make docos right. and all the other bits and pieces that, right? that come with that. Yeah, with being in that kind of arena. 
Huh. So yeah, and it was like it was one of the, yeah it was one of the craziest craziest days out in the ocean. It was a really big day. Yeah, and I just found myself. I remember getting pulled up to the channel. There's about twenty five skis, heap of capable people there, and everyone was just kind of looking at it, and all of us going, "Holy crap! This is like." Almost as big as we've seen this joint ever. Right. This is at this exact wave, or just the central. This is at at the location. Right. So there's where the waves are happening. Then there's a bit of a deep water channel where all the photographers and right. video guys and doco guys and everything can sit and film. And everyone was just sitting there, and you could feel the nervous tension. Probably right. be like on finals day or something. You know, in the locker room, you feel the nervous tension. Yeah. It's like, why isn't anyone playing? You know, I'd be kicking a ball around if I were you guys, you know. And so I've just jumped on the rope. We were toe surfing this day, you know, behind the jet ski. And it was my first wave. I just didn't want to look at it too long because I didn't want to get too nervous. And I knew the spot well enough that I didn't need to get any more intel on where to be or where it was going to break. I already had an intimate knowledge of all those things. And then literally by the time I'd got out the back, this lump just rose up and it was like, Go, go, let's do this. And then let go of the rope and then, yeah, it was just like, it's like this is the one that I've waited my life for kind of thing. And I'd been training, you know, two years prior just flat out, you know what I mean? I was just a weapon as far as my breath old training fitness was going. Right. So I wasn't going into that with any doubt about, um, you know, Outcome, you know, when you've taken away all those other bits and pieces of doubt out of it, then it's all about a peak performance. So to be able to actually not be worried about the outcome and excited about what's happening, and then uh, that was one of those days. And so then all of a sudden this wave came and I ended up in a situation where a few photos were taken and wham, bam, over in the States holding up some trophies. It was, <laughs> it was, a, radical, it was a radical ride. What does it sound like when you're riding a wave like that? It's nuts, eh? Like if you've hung out in an airport and you're hearing a plane take off and it's just, you know, it's just overload, absolutely overload, sensory overload. And then when the lip hits the actual water, the forces that are involved and the water that refracts off, quite often that's hitting you in the face. And it feels like there's, you know, darts getting thrown at your face because it's hitting you so hard. And then I reckon there's something too um, that happens, and this might sound a little bit cuckoo. I'm, I'm not full uh, full hippie mode. <laughs> but when the water's moving, like I love those waves, those slabs where you can be in the wave where it's tubing, so you're actually in all that water. And when the water's moving that hard and that fast, when you're in there, there's something. There's just something that's just different, you know. We're made of, you know, a heap of water and and that feeling is just, yeah, it's really, really hard to explain. And you've seen the Billabong slogan, you know, only a surfer knows the feeling. It is kind of one of those things I'd, you wish you could teleport that feeling Bottle of experience in, into <laughs> everyone so they got to have a taste of it. It's radical. So do you know when you're on the wave that it's a good wave? I know... Yeah, you would have told this story a bit, but if you can like think back, do you know when you're on the wave is the biggest wave you've ever ridden, or have you ridden bigger that hasn't been captured? Yeah, ridden, couple of questions. Ridden bigger waves, yeah, have for you? sure. Yeah, like I, for many years we didn't chase. Like, like I said, I haven't travelled with a photo team or video team when right. I'm trying to make docos and the rest of it. That was literally by chance that we ended up 
huh. winning that award. Um, nowadays, because of shark eyes and, you know, we have in the industry now, um, you know, we travel with photographers sometimes, so quite a few more moments are captured. Yeah. But before that, you know, there's some crazy moments that, you know, I've never been captured at all. But that that one in particular, that was a big one, don't get me wrong. Like it was a proper <laughs> How one. How big was it? How big was it? Like, oh, it's hard to gauge. Like it's, you know, if, you, if you're looking at it just vertically up, it was probably, you know, four stories high or something. Mm -hmm. But the problem, well, not the problem, depends on what you like. There can be a stand-up wave that has a little bit of water in it that just crumbles down that's four stories and it's, you know, it doesn't have that much volume in it. But when you start throwing that water, when you start throwing Olympic swimming pools out into the air and you're trying to go through the middle of it, it becomes a bit more hazardous <laughs> <laughs> probably. It's like a heavy wave. It's so heavy, man. Yeah. What What are the um, – so there would have been a bunch of photographers and stuff there – was there yeah. a, was it a lot of chatter around on the boats and stuff? Yeah, after yeah. you came what out of the it? reaction. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone's got this heightened state of you know, holy crap. And I remember after that, like I was kind of concussed and half out of it. I didn't make that wave. I got absolutely lit up. Is that right? Yeah. So just just towards the end of it, this thing just imploded on me, and I got all lit up. Oh, so it was, did not know that. No, it was it was. Yeah, it's fo photo competition. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not best. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to commercial surfing. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you get a score at the yeah, end of it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Fuck, so you were. So was, wow. Yeah. So what happened on that when you, when you got hit? Yeah, so I've ended up out in the channel just kind of, and I was really glad. The guy who was helping me train a fair bit at the time, um, he was there coaching us in the channel, and I, was, I just kind of was concussed and half out of it, and I was like, get me back out, you know, get me back on the field kind of one. And he's actually pulled me aside and he's gone, you're not right, mate. You've got to give this 15, 20 minutes before we think about that. Right. And then it was only about five minutes and my – she was my girlfriend at the time. She wasn't my wife. was out there watching this too. I thought I'd go and take her out for a date and show her what, what we did. <laughs> <laughs> so she's seeing me spewing up on the – Jet ski, kind of not being able to hold myself up, just going like, "What the heck's this guy doing?" You know, and good first date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty, pretty radical. But yeah, and then it was just kind of regroup. And then I remember going across, and one of the photographers' mates, because uh, I was in the channel then regrouping. I was like, "Hey, mate, how are you?" And he's, "Yeah, good, good." He's like, "I was like, oh, you getting a few shots?" And he goes, "Man, you should see this thing that somebody surfed this morning. It was radical." because it was an hour later or something. And I didn't really think much of it because um, you're just going for a surf. And then he he showed us a little bit later on in that day and it was like, holy crap, that that thing was was big, big and round. Yeah. Is he had a photo of you? Yeah, it was that one that I got lit up on. Right, and, was and like, he didn't realise that it was no, you. No, he didn't realise it was me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. What's the, um, what's the relationship like with you and the guy riding the jet ski? I guess there has to be some element of like ultimate trust, right? Yeah, it's full dance, eh? It's full dance. Um, like you can go with people that you're not familiar with, but it, you know ice skating when they have it together and when they don't, you could get two of the best ice skaters in the world. So separately they could be a great surfer and a great tow, tow driver, jet ski driver, but if you haven't danced together prior, it can still be clumsy. Mm. So it really is an intimate relationship. And then going with the guys that you trust, like, I mean, we 
we kind of um, have two-day courses where we teach people, you know, safety pickups, you know, unconscious pickups, two-man pickups on the jet ski and just really get efficient at doing that. And then so I – nowadays, back in Esperance, I was driving jet skis out in the middle of the ocean with one other guy and I think we're lucky to have got back, to be honest. <laughs> nowadays, I'm like, let's always go with two skis. We try to run a safety ski so somebody's there to save you if if need be and really square away. But it's such an intimate relationship. You, I love it because it feels like um, it's probably like footy. Mm. And I, I haven't played footy um, on the level that you have, but it's like... I haven't surfed big waves on the level <laughs> you have. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that camaraderie that you have and it feels like... I haven't been to war with anyone, but it's like you literally, it feels like you're, if this guy doesn't do his job properly, you've got to high five him and just go, you know, we're on, we're on here, we're doing this. And one thing I always ask before every wave, because you know what the potential outcome might be, I always give them a big, do you want it? You know, and you always have to get a positive, yep, I want it, so that it's there. Are, are, are they... At as much risk as the surfer? Like, and are they usually surfers? Like the guys that- Normally surfers, yeah. Yep. Because wherever you are on the jet ski, you can end up without the jet ski real quick. Um, it's just, it's the nature of the beast. Right. You know, it's like you could lose the jet ski. So you want to be as competent in the water as you are on the jet ski because that can, that can just happen like that quick that you end up in what's, shits. Yeah. Shits what, what, what's the worst one out there? Like jet ski. What do you mean? The, I don't know. Jet ski gone. And you got two blokes out in the water getting smashed by yeah. Then massive you got to waves. Swim a few k's if you're conscious <laughs> oh, back gosh. into the coast. You know. Have you dod- had to do that? Dodging these ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had some big swims before for sure. Yeah. The jet skis is like no no idea where it is. It's just gone. Yeah. Yep. We've sunk just, skis. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is a part of the game. You know. It's like driving race cars. You're going to crash them every now and then. So it's inevitable outcome. Um, so it's just trying to do everything you can so that you know either you've got someone else that can help you out or you're squared away that you've got your flippers and all the other bits and pieces so you can get in. Do you give that that particular way? But I know you've written bigger and better and, and all of that and you've had lots of experiences, but this one you get the award for and you get a, you get a trophy, you get a medal. Do you yeah, get a, it was nuts. Hey? Was it? Yeah, it was <laughs> awesome. I got the chip off my shoulder as well too. What, what do you mean? <laughs> Uh, what's that, sorry? What do you mean, the chip off your shoulder? I probably – I was looking probably at a heap of, you know, guys that are getting paid to travel around the world. And, you know, when you're a bit younger, you got the fire in you and you're going, just wait a minute, I'll tell you guys up any day of the week, huh. you know. And so there was a little bit of a mental chip. Mm. And I'd, I've never wanted to be a part of that commercial surfing world because um, I just don't enjoy it. Don't in, enjoy the – the uh, how it rolls basically. Mm. Um but to be able to be a part of it and then go, screw you, I don't want to be a part of it, you know. <laughs> it, was awesome. a, it was a pretty good, it was like, okay, I've done the, now, yeah. Where were the awards? Uh, over in the States, over at Huntington. Did you go by yourself or take some boys? No, over? it took some boys over, it was sick, eh? We had a little posse <laughs> and a few mates, couple from just, Perth here. Just the Esperance crew roll over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Who's that guy? Yeah, the speech, was, yeah. yeah. Go fuck yourself, everybody. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs> it was pretty radical. And it was, um, yeah, normally, like, I mean, uh, that commercial world, it, you know, it's probably pretty rigged a lot of the time because I'm not, you know, the WA boys or the Tassie boys, quite often they're not selling enough board shorts for <laughs> the big companies. So quite often the awards will go to, 
sponsored. Where the money is, basically. Yeah, where the money is. Um, but it just so happened this year that WA was like on fire with big waves and that session in particular was really standout. And the other big wave locations around the world, they were pretty quiet. So it was inevitable that there was three guys out of five, there was three guys from that day that really? um, had entries in there that could have taken it out. And so, yeah, they kind of pretty much cancelled the category after that. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't let any more West Aussies win it. <laughs> that's classic. Yeah, yeah it was, it's pretty awesome. Oh, that's a great story, <laughs> mate. Uh, um, do you keep your tro- have you got trophies sitting somewhere? Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's pretty sick actually. Nice one to have on the wall, you know, because it's um, this big glass hand in the shape of a barrel, huh. and there's you know they punched us a nice tag hewer through with it as well too, and right? a couple other bits and pieces. Yeah, it was nice just to have well, those mementos. Don't wear that around, obviously. The <laughs> tag and the other yeah. Um, that's unreal. Yeah, um, super cool. Love that. So, <clears throat> um. I think it's probably a good time to talk about what you're doing with Shark Eyes because um, that's, that's sort of how we met, given a few sort of contacts. Um, can you talk a bit about what Shark Eyes is, how, how you came up with it? Yeah, give, give us the Shark Eyes story. Yeah, there's, 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 we could go back to a bit of trauma. Here yeah, I, I think we should. I think we should. We should. We're going to be Shark Stories. Like what um, is Shark Eyes and then we can go back to kind of why. Well, Shark Eyes is kind of – it's developed. It it started off as like a labour of love and um, and a shark deterrent, basically. And then, you know, we're probably six or seven years down the track. Now we're, you know, making wetsuits. We're a company that makes wetsuits, um, train people how to hold their breath, uh, breathing performance, that kind of thing, mm. um, and make my passions in, you know, premium ocean hardware and, you know, making quality wetsuits and other products that, uh, good hardware, you know, for every day going to the beach, diving, surfing, spearing. So that's that's what Shark Eyes has ended up. But it started, um, yeah, it started because of a pretty radical story. Um, I was abalone diving down in Esperance um, and it's pretty remote, like the, you know, the kind of venues that we're diving in. You're, you know, driving a tractor out for an hour and a half down a dirt road, towing a, you know, 30-foot catamaran, beach launching, living in a caravan for a month at a time at remote locations. You know, right. that's that's the kind of environment that we were ab-diving in. Right. Um, and you might not see people for a week or two. You know, then you're going out and you're doing town runs to drop off your abs or getting someone to uh, – everyone knows, just in case everyone doesn't know what abalone are, they're a shellfish that cling onto rocks as well too. So you – And then you only get them like, in certain spaces. Places, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. They're not everywhere. No, they're not everywhere. You like Metro, you can only do it once a year or something, like yeah, a day or something. Yeah. I used to dive up here a little bit. I did probably two or three seasons up here diving all the, you know, Mindari through yeah. to Trig, Trig commercially. But, like, you're not talking – we're not talking about here, like, <clears> the, you know, Abalone yeah, Day where we've got the, you know, people in tracksuit pants out on the rocks getting fished <laughs> off by the surf lifesavers, are we? No, nah, it's been a little bit different back <laughs> back. A little bit more Wild Wild West down, where, down in Esperance Way. <clears throat> yeah, so it's that, you know, the remote locations, big logistics, you know, caravans, camping out. You're camping yeah. and you you know, going out to sea 20, 30 k's sometimes and jumping in the middle of the Southern Ocean, dodging bodies and – Knocking off little snails off rocks off the bottom of the seafloor. <laughs> Bodies being 
Sharks. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I'll just. Yeah. <laughs> I know you like calling bodies. Also, ab, ab, ab divers calling bodies. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of, you know, when you're ab diving, you have a boat, then you have compressed air, and there's a reel with a hose that goes down, and then there's a diver attached, you know, that's getting his air punched down through the hose. And it's not commercial diving where you have comms to the surface, it's kind of, you know, a little bit more old school, not as technical. If you want to tell someone what's going on down at the bottom, you grab the hose, their air hose, and you pull it. You know, when you right. a certain amount of pulls is a certain certain amount of signals, right. yeah, as to what the heck what the heck's going on. There was this one day we'd been out at this location, yeah, it's about 120, 130 Ks east of Esperance. Um Poison right. Creek. It's actually called Poisson. Creek is probably the technical <laughs> French name, but Poison Creek is what <laughs> everyone calls it. Mm. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we've launched the boats, been for a week, haven't seen anyone. And then old mate from South Australia, uh, Greg Pickering, pulled up alongside us and got his caravan set up and we were stoked to see another ab diver, you know, pretty much. And then, but it's the race, you know, then you're waking up early, you've got competition, there's certain grounds which are better that, once you've fished them for the year, you know, you don't work them again. So it's a race. So we were racing, put the boats in this morning, went out to this zone. We're about 10 or 15 k's up the coast. Jumped in the water. I was in my first dive for the day. Um, and Greg and his boat were probably, I don't know, they might have been 500 metres away, maybe a little bit less. And then I'm underneath and I've got these emergency pulls on my, on my hose. And then instantly I'm going, okay, well, you know, either my air supply is going to get cut off, so I need to do an emergency ascent, or there's something there that is, you know, you need to get out of the water for. Right. And so you ascend really quickly, and as as you're ascending, I like to spin so you can sorry. surfboard. Sorry. sorry. So you can see what's going on, you know, just in case something's going to hit you. Um, and then I've, as I was coming up, I've heard like this low low noise and water. Uh, noise travels really far underwater. So you can hear boat motors. And I was like, Greg's boat is real close. And so we've, I've got up on the deck and as soon as I've hit the deck, um, Rue has gone, Greg's been hit. And I was like, oh, holy shit, how bad is it? Was it, because you're hoping it's a bronzy. At that stage, you're just going, oh, I hope it's a, a bronze whaler shark. Sorry, mm. smaller. They still get big, yeah. but it's not a white. Like as soon as you've had dealings with whites, it's, um, it's just a different kettle of fish. They're a different animal. And so I was like, is it a bronzy? And he goes, I don't know. I didn't see him. And I've looked up and Greg's boat's probably about, I'd say, half a K in front of us, hammers down, heading back to where we launched the boats. And then we've just started going for it as well. I've jumped on the sat phone, made a call to guy at the processor place, um, and I've just gone, hey, Greg's been hit. Uh get a chopper, you know, all the questions get asked. How bad is it? I don't know. I haven't assessed it yet. Blah, blah, blah. Let you know when we know, just get a chopper, you know. <clears throat> Got a call halfway back. We're 15, 20 minutes, you know, back to where we'd launched the boats. And it's like, hey, you're not getting a chopper. <laughs> they don't exist. They're in the movies, mate. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> this is up to you guys. Right. It's desperate. It's oh, like, yeah, you know, well, I'm dumb as well because I was assuming it was a chopper. Yeah, so, so did I up until just then. <laughs> and it's like, just wait a minute. Okay, this changes the game a little bit. Um, so then we got back to where the boats pulled in 
and Callum was on the boat and you could just see his face, uh, his face, he's 18 or 19 and he was just white, you know, and it was like, ah, oh, here we go. And I've jumped on, pulled up alongside his boat and I've jumped in, walked onto the front of the boat and there's Greg and, you know, there's just blood everywhere through the boat. He's, you know, and straight away it was like, oh, shit, it's a white, you know, it's not a... And it's not a bronzy that he's been hit by. Right. And he'd actually, he was down on the bottom of the ocean and this thing came front on and it had engulfed him up to his waist. It was radical. The fact that his flamen was in one piece at the time was just radical. But, <clears throat> and the only reason he was in one piece is because we wear these lead vests. Um, it's almost like a a vest that you pull over and it disperses the weight so you can spend a long time in the water. Anyone who's done some diving or free diving, normally you have a weight belt that just goes around your belly, but when you spend extended periods of time, that really hurts your back. So we we have these things and it's a lead vest that covers all your torso. Mm. And on the back, we have a bailout bottle, like a spare air bottle sometimes. So this thing had come down, grabbed him, but he wasn't in two pieces because of that equipment that we have on or most ab divers have on. Um, but as you can imagine, somehow he's got himself out of it, but their teeth, um, I don't know if you've touched white's teeth before, but they're like razor blades, they're triangles and you just touch them and they're razor blades. So on, on the way out, he would just got obliterated everywhere. Um, I don't know how graphic, how graphic uh, here, but he's kind of, you know, as the thing was chomping, it split him from his chin all the way through his nose, up through his eye. So his face was kind of open, splayed. Yeah. And then he had kind of a flip top head as well. Um, looks like the, yeah, like an Indian had kind of taken to him kind of thing. And Callum had got him together as best he could. He'd got some gaffer tape and a shirt, put gave him his haircut back, put his, Flip top head back on a little bit and kind of so it's pretty radical. He had like a great white tooth snapped and it was embedded in his eye socket. <laughs> so he had this tooth like snapped in his thing and we were there and we just, you know, the visuals are pretty radical. And then it was like, holy shit, there's no chopper. We are 120 Ks in the middle of nowhere, an hour down a four-wheel drive track we've got to deal with this now and try to keep him alive. And yeah, I have it. Like, he's, he's alive. At this he's, he's alive. We ended up keeping him alive. So this is wow. actually a really good story. <clears throat> but he's still um, alive. He's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. You've been he's, laughing he's and, I'll be like, and I'll be like, I don't know if this is a coping <laughs> that's mechanism a, that's, or not. Yeah, it is definitely a coping so mechanism. He's fucking alive. Yeah. We, we, we managed to keep him alive, the three of us. It, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow. So, keep going. So no chopper. Uh, Arnie Schwarzenegger's not coming in. Yeah, no. Get me to the job. Get to the chopper. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you're not in Hollywood now, mate. I could laugh now. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, that's good. Sorry, I probably should have no, said it's good. that it's earlier good. in the piece. Yeah, I've never, um, I've never, I've never heard you tell this story, so that's why I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's, and so then we're on the beach, and we got two boats, and we got three guys, and you know, pulling a boat out of the water with two guys is hard enough, you know, let alone two boats, and you know. So then we've. Got his boat, we've put it on a car and we've actually got the boats out of the water quickly. Um, you know, we've it's quite often we decompress on oxygen when we come out of the boat to lower our surface times. So I've 
Greg, he's conscious at this time and, you know, our rev meters are all just, you know, out of control. He's managed to kind of groan oxygen, which I didn't think of straight away either. And so we've got a reg and we've regulator, you know, it's what you breathe on. Mm. And I'll put it in a, in a place where his mouth kind of was to, and then he's started breathing on that, which was really good. So then he had O2 going into him at least. And then we've made the decision that we shouldn't lift him up because it looked like if we were going to lift him up, he was kind of going to fall. Like yeah. he, he had some massive wounds on his back and, you know, across his neck and all the rest of it. So our camp was probably a K and a half up the road. So we've driven a K and a half up the road. And I I know a lot more medically now after that experience than I did before. And I was like, he's going to die. You know, so we've got to make him as comfortable as we can, but we've got to give it a crack on the way out. So we stopped in at the camp, um, made the decision to stop and get some pillows and sleeping bags out of the caravans um, just to pad him up for the trip because it's an hour full drive track getting towed down on a boat, you know. Right. And so I spent the next hour and a half pushing my knees or pushing my hands, legs against the side of the boat, kind of, holding a couple of wounds and that to get a bit of pressure on and yeah. And we managed to get him out pretty much stem the bleeding. Um, docs told us afterwards, they were mere flesh wounds. <laughs> <laughs> no, no arteries were cut. You know, there wasn't any yeah, gushing wow. blood, but there was enough going on that, you know, it half was, a head. Yeah. It was, I think it was probably visually a lot worse than what it was technically medically um but that didn't help me much of the time so i didn't i didn't have enough information as far as i had enough but you know i didn't think he was going to survive it was radical because i was wondering when you're telling the story like how the fuck do you know the shark come and munched him because again i thought that story finished with greg didn't make it but you've asked him what happened when the shark took him well yeah well he didn't see it coming or anything he was just on the on the ground head down knocking off abalone and then he just remembers being black, everything being black and then he was 15 metres underwater too at the time when he got hit. And on the bottom, we, we always thought it was mid-water or on the top when we were going to get hit, um, but it was on the bottom, you know, and then all of a sudden we were just going, oh, this sucks. We thought the danger zone was just there, <laughs> yeah, you know. Right. Um, and I couldn't go in the water after that. Um, that was radical. But we kept him live. They took him up to Perth. Um, we flew up to Perth a week later. And saw him in hospital and it was one of the best things we could have done because from seeing him how he was mm. to in a hospital bed and functional, it was like, oh, this is awesome. So how did shark eyes, how did that Yeah, so <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Bring got, it back around. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot ah. why we were actually talking about That's it a good. little bit then. Um, yeah, so I couldn't get in the water. Um, you know, when you talk about things that shape you um, mm. quite a bit and traumatic experiences, like Tarantino couldn't have done a better job of, making someone look messed up. So I was I was pretty rattled. I couldn't ab dive anymore, couldn't go in the water. Went to go for a surf and I just got up to my knees. I was throwing up and crying. Right. It was just I couldn't, you know, everything that I'd loved and the place that I'd gone for solace and respite, which was the ocean, had kind of been stripped. Mm. And I was just like, ah, this sucks. And then that's when I moved down to the southwest. I just had to get out of had to get out of Esperance at that stage. Um, and then 
was maybe 18 months later I'm in Margaret River and finally getting, you know, my mentally back in the water, trying to get back in the water and I was outside and I had one of my dive wetsuits and I got the silicon gun out and I was putting big eyes on the back of my wetty and my wife's come out and she's gone, what the heck are you doing? And I was like, oh, you know, they sharks change their behaviour once they've, once you spot them, basically. And I didn't know any of the science behind it at the time. Uh, but we just noticed, you know, it's any anybody in the game that spent a lot of time with sharks, they're like bullies almost. It's like if you turn around and run, they'll chase you. Whereas if you stand there proud and even look at them, so you you know when someone's looking at you, you know what I mean? And the the interaction changes, the dynamics change. Right. And, you know, instinctively most apex predators have that instinct i guess it is that they want you know all the big apex predators they want the element of surprise in an attack um so basically they don't want to hit something front on they don't get old and wise by hitting stuff front on all the time they kind of they'll go in hit something attack it and then let it bleed out and then come back and you know come back and eat it when when they're not being hurt right so they don't get hurt and so we looked into it a little bit further my sister's a PhD kind of marine scientist and I was like, hey, Chris, is there any merit to what we've seen in the water, all of us have seen in the water? And then we went down, delving down into biomimicry and eye spots, which are well documented in many animals and nature. You would have seen things like butterflies that have, you know, eyes on their wings yeah. or there's different fish species and the rest of it that have like false eyes on the back mm. of them. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just shown that that's an effective means of defence against attack. And so there was a bit of anecdotal evidence and scientific evidence that showed that if you put a big set of eyeballs on on your stuff, you're less likely to get hit because the instinct of the animal changes, you know. So like, that's that's yeah. how it started. started from a shitty shark attack story and then now trying to get yourself back in the water trying to get myself back in the water and feel good yeah and also i'd I'd lost i've lost a few friends um to white shark attacks which which sounds pretty radical but it's like um i've lost like three close friends that have died um yeah through through getting hit and when you spend a lot of time in the water in wa (laughs) unfortunately um we are, you know, and we spend a lot of time in the water, so I'm not, that's not a fear-mongering kind of one, but it's we, we just want to do everything we can nowadays to try to, make, to, try to be safer. Mm. So that kind of made me go, okay, well, and, man, it's been a tough road because it's like you can imagine holding up a set of stickers with a set of eyeballs on it going, <laughs> honest. <laughs> oh, you know? I try to tell someone, just like slap this on, you're all good, mate. Trust me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and everyone seems to want to come up with this fail-safe, you know, method. And it's just, it is don't go in the water. But, you know, it. I just know and there's enough anecdotal evidence there to show that it makes a difference, you know. Um, so we just go, look, this is something that we've, you know, Started off, Shark Eyes as a company started off doing that just because it was, we need to get this out there and yeah. get a few people safer. And then fortunately I'm so sick and tired of talking about sharks and eyes that it kind of has eventuated into a bit more of my passion now, which is, you know, the training, breathing, 
good quality wetsuits, you know, good quality ocean hardware. And that's, that's where the passion is. But I'm stoked with what we've achieved with the deterrent space as well to be able to get that out there now. At what point did you feel comfortable in the water again? Like how long did it take you? It's changed. Like even now it's changed. Um, where I was before, like I used to want to have encounters. I used to like seeing whites because um, you feel uncomfortable. You know, to get that uncomfortable feeling, the longer you do something, the harder it is to get uncomfortable. And, you know, who doesn't want to see hang out in Africa with lions. Everyone wants to go see, you know, I was like that. Well, yeah, from a fucking cage. (laughs) I don't particularly want to go and have a fucking snooze, like go walk around the savannah and have some lions hunting me. (laughs) There's a big difference. My mentality wasn't there at the time. I was just Happy to watch Nat Nat Geo (laughs) with a couple of sharks swimming around. Yeah, yeah, I'm like that now for sure. So it's it's changed for me. It's like if I see a fish, um, big fish, I'll get out of the water nowadays. Like I, I used to want to hang out and see what was going to happen, kind of. But I'll a lot more, yeah, a lot more information. Seeing a lot more nowadays to wise up a little bit. You've been attacked by what? I have, yeah. You, you're killing me today, hey? <laughs> you know, I'm probably going to end up in tears with this one. What? Well. No, no, no. But like it's – Yeah, it's very real. It's relevant like, as well. Yeah, this is all very real. It's not um, – some, sometimes when I'm telling these stories, it kind of – you know, you do it in one sitting like this almost. There's a few stories and it's just like a little bit thing. But, yeah, I I had one once. I was spearfishing um, out off Redgate. It was down in Margaret River there and my wife was in the boat with my cousin – and we're out a couple of k's off the coast, and I do a fair bit of spearfishing. Um, and so I was, I was spearfishing, and we're in about 22 metres or something, rather, and I'd shot a fish, and it, would, it had gone under a cave. And that's a big, big free dive for me, um, especially if I've got to work to try to unravel stuff down that deep. Um, so I was sitting there, and my spear gun that I have, it's attached to a float. You have a float line, so when you shoot a fish, there's a spear, then there's a cord that comes up to the surface and then there's a float. So then you've always got your gun with you to be able to fend stuff off. It's called a breakaway breakaway system on your spear gun. Right. And so anyway, so I'd shot this fish, it'd gone under a cave and then I was up on top of the water holding this float and it was like, oh, here we go. I'll just breathe up. It's going to be a big dive, you know, 22 and I'm going to have to do a lot of wriggling under there. So, okay. And you want to spend roughly three or four times on the surface longer than your performance. So I was up there for, you know, four or five minutes, just breathing up, looking down, trying to be calm, get the heart rate down. And then all of a sudden I've just seen this cone, I guess you'd say, like whites have pointy noses. And so this thing was just coming bolt upright um, just at me. And I was just going, oh, no. You know, in that split second and then things slow down. And then I had my gun, the bands were around my arms and then I just had time to put hold my gun down by my side and kind of stiffen it up against my body. And then this thing just hit me and uh, kind of jacked us out of the water a bit. And then it's, you know, cut three hot laps around me just going in and out of vision and I was like squealing for the boat 
and this is this is crazy. Heather had a Dewey on. <laughs> Your wife. <laughs> she she had. I remember looking across, and we because we, we were having a competition on my previous dive. I'd seen a big Dewey, and I've gone like I'll I'll try to spear it. it before you catch it. <laughs> and she actually had this Dewey on her line, and so. She, She's understood what's going on and I've got to question her about her choices <laughs> on this day. She's landed the fish before they've got the boat to come and, to come and get me. So you're getting circled by a fucking getting, great watch. Not now, Shannon. Just, I'm, I've got it's it. just, and she's actually seen it. I asked her later. I was like, did you see me get hit or not? And she's like, yeah, I saw you bounce out of the water. And I was like, drop the rod. <laughs> Don't worry about the jewfish. Fuck rod. hell. And, um, yeah, but the crazy thing was that was – and I – you know, probably a little bit analytical and looking back at things yeah. and why they happened and thing. This thing didn't have its mouth open and I couldn't figure that out because I was like, if you're going to hit me, you know. So it didn't bite. No, it didn't bite. Wow. It, it it just bumped me. And I'd never heard about it. I'd never heard of that happening ever before. Normally, you know, it doesn't end that well. Mm. And I uh, rang up one of my abdiver mates who's South African and he said it happens a heap over there and they do it when they're territorial. So he goes, spearfishermen over there quite often get bumped and his thought on why it wasn't open and it was just a bump was because he reckons it knew the fish was in distress that I'd shot and he was just going, this is my fish, get the heck out of here. And that was the experience I had with, with that white. So I probably wasn't attacked. I reckon I was probably um, no, you were just <laughs> bumped. You know? So yeah. you said it did hot lap, so it like it, it knocks you out of the water and then it starts swimming. It was like, is it circling? Yeah, it was just circling. And that was the most horrible feeling because it, you know, we're in 22 metres. So you, if you're in two or three metres, you've only got a, you know, diameter to look around. But when you're deeper, you've got all these angles. So you're trying to figure out where it's going to come from. And it was just going in and out of vision as it was going flat out. So you'd lose it for 10 or 15 seconds and then you go, oh, no, it's the most hor horrible feeling. Just going, okay, is this thing going to come and, come and hit me? It's going to sound like a dumb question. So during no, that no, happening, no why, why aren't you just like getting into the boat? Boat was about 100 metres away. Right. With ever catching a tube. <laughs> right. I thought it was just nearby. Shivers. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, maybe 50 metres away. Or yeah, something like right. That. Yeah, there was a little little bit of lag. Yeah, I got on the boat. And I just burst into tears. As soon wow. as I got on there, I was like, burst into tears. And I was like, get me, get me home. You didn't go down and get the fish? <laughs> no, <laughs> I just caught it. No, Heather had fucking done that. <laughs> yeah. Hello, friends. Scoey here. Just a friendly reminder. We are partnering with Movember this year for uh, a great highlight and awareness around uh, suicide prevention, testicular and prostate cancer, and men's mental health for the month of November, and we're celebrating this by a huge live event down at the Paddington Ale House in Mount Hawthorne on uh, the 27th of October. It's a Friday, 7 p.m. kickoff. Uh, you need to grab your tickets for this event. Now, uh, those of you who have been following the podcast know this holds a special place in not only my heart, but everyone involved here at Backchat. Uh, we're partnering with the Lumpy Plums, a local West Australian uh, Movember fundraising team, and we're using this day to really kick off fundraising events uh, for the boys down at the Lumpy Plum. Storm Lewington is the main man there. We'll be speaking to him on stage. But, well, not more importantly, but very importantly, we'll have the, the lads from the Main Street Barbers on stage uh, chopping mows, trimming beards, shaving heads. Uh, use this as a great opportunity to come down with your mates, have a few beers, have a laugh, 
get that face clean shaven for November and to get things rolling for the Lumpy Plums. You can be involved with the Lumpy Plums. You can join that team. Uh, just follow the links in our bio. Grab the tickets for the event at the Paddo on the 27th of October. They're $0 tickets. We just want to know you're coming. Um, going to be a great night provided and sponsored by all of our main guys, but uh, very much uh, welcome and happy to have Movember on board partnering us with this event. Uh, looking forward to seeing you down there. I'm going to have a baby face for the first time in about five years. It's going to be absolute scenes. See you there. Uh, all, all, mate, it's incredible you sharing it with us, mate. We really appreciate it. I, it, it just it makes me think, um, and I know, and I'm not going to keep peppering you. So don't, don't worry. <laughs> I know you've got more. I know you've, well, I know you've got more, which is just crazy, I think, for one person to have so many massive moments in, in a life. And you speak about your brother. It was Nathan. Yeah. yeah right? You speak yeah, about mate. your brother. Yeah. You speak about you know, these personal moments of, you know, life or death. You speak about other people, life or death. Have you spent time um, – have you spent time on on your mental the, – the way you process things mentally? Like have you, have, you, have you actually tried to cope better with trauma? Have you – A hundred percent. Can you like, share I'd, some of the stuff? I'd be a mess. You, I'd be a mess. Like, um, can you share what you've like learned and studied and, and I don't know, like – in, in, a, in a way, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not a doctor, no. so I got a precursor Absolutely that one no. with you know um, life experience. Though. Yeah, life experience. I guess, um, and I, you know, I've still got moments like I have, you know, even in the water. You know what I mean? There's stuff that I just look at things differently, and even you know, some things with my brother. There's daily, there's daily triggers. I think once you've had traumas or whatever the case is, there's triggers of stuff. And when I say triggers, no, trying to sound all hippie once again but you know like you're looking at the ocean mm. almost is a trigger for me if i see a dolphin breach i straight away i you know because of what i've seen you go oh what is that you know you have a bit of a jump so there's daily thing i think it's just management of those things and as like i said everyone's going to redline and i think just the quicker you acknowledge what you're thinking for me nowadays the quicker i acknowledge just wait a minute i'm being negative here or i'm i've just gone dark or blah 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 Simple things like I used to, I used to lean into the darkness. And mm. Like I'd think about my brother, a song had come on that would remind me about him. Mm. I'd turn it up, crack a beer, and you know you'd end up in tears. You know, and then mm. six pack later, you you're worse for you, you've gone on that trajectory. Whereas <clears throat> conscious moments, not not having to win a week or a month or a year, taking it very small winning individual moments. So the sad song comes on, it's like, boom, I'll turn it off and I'll put, you know, Celine Dion on or, you know, Taylor <laughs> Swift. Something something uh, example. Back chat. Something Some happier. Back chat podcast. Yeah. <laughs> back chat. We've shown more. <laughs> back to your stories. <laughs> no, people are going to go downhill after listening to this <laughs> no, one. No, they're not. They're not <laughs> always. <laughs> fucking incredible insight. Yeah. But just those little, those little battles and I think they come down to physical – practical things it's like instead of you know cracking a beer crack a kombucha you know it, when you don't feel like getting off your ass and going for a run get out and be in nature you know just th those dailies but you have to win the little the little ones every day consistently because it's only little increments that all of a sudden two three months four months goes past and then it's like holy crap now you can see this massive shift in my demeanor my mental health and all the rest of it but it comes with just those good decisions 
Do you look at yourself? Do you consider yourself mentally strong? I'd like to think so, yeah. I'd like to think so nowadays, yeah. I still am not disciplined with a few things. Like, you know, there's a few things that still get me for sure. You know what I mean? Bag like, of chips. <laughs> chocolate. Well, it's like, yeah, if I, if I buy a chocolate bar, if it's in the house, it's going down in one hit. <laughs> like decision has for me has to be made in the shop, you know. <laughs> it's like either either do it or don't. I've definitely got a personality that like once the decision's made, I go I go pretty hard at it kind of thing. Mm. So and even just being aware of that, of personality type and go, okay, well, if I if I do that, I know what's going to happen, you know. So I preempt a lot of stuff that I do and try not to do it nowadays if I know it's going to lead to. A, a downwards decline in either physical health or mental health. I look at surfing again as like you're talking about so many mental elements. Um, what what's the what's the sort of take and look at surfing right now? You speak about the commercial kind of side of things. I think like a lot of us, and I'm not a surfer whatsoever. Um, and Dan, I don't. Think I bodyboarded know. a little bit. Yep. I, was in, I was in a, a crew. More, eh? He who has the most fun. It was a hurricane, man to hurricane. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But like we and probably people listening see like um, Nazaro. Yep. And it's just this mad big wave. Is that is that still real? Like, is there the is there the um, you know the the realness the the you know love story that surfing was? Is that still exist? I think it does with individuals. I don't think it does under the banner of a corporation mm. in any way, shape, or form. Like I said, the the feeling. Of being in Mother Nature, there's, you know, that's amazing. And, you you know, everyone gets it through different things, but surfing's definitely an amazing platform and that's why it's so addictive. Um, you can get that down at Trig Beach five metres out, right? Like, yeah, they might. No, might you might not. Early in the morning if there's not everyone around. <laughs> <laughs> you you would, you know. Yes. Like, and, but there's a difference between, you know, some flagpoles set up, a a podium and then someone on the microphone calling out scores. That's that's not surfing to me. Mm. Um, you know, it, it is to a lot of people and that's all they've known. I've just been fortunate enough to know surfing and especially the big wave surfing nowadays. Um, I was speaking to someone on the way up. We, two days ago we had a, a a really good session at a big wave out of reef down off Graham up there. And, you know, there's a handful of guys I don't even care if I catch a wave nowadays, but being out in Mother Nature where the energy is that big and the swell's that big, you're high-fiving your guys, they're getting some good waves, you're getting some good waves, that, that's surfing to me. Yes. And that, that feeling is just, you know, it's what, what keeps me sane still for sure. That, uh, that, that I, I'd like to, I always like to you know, finish with a smile on our faces. The, the mateship and the community of surfing, I reckon – Sometimes the people that don't look at it and see it wouldn't know that. That's is that pretty much does that underwrite everything surfing is the mates you have for me, yeah, hundred percent. And the experiences shared in nature, you know, like jumping in a four wheel drive with you know when you were young, you know, with two tins of baked beans and sleeping in board bags and going camping, and uh, you know, surfing's definitely a part of it. And you know, and there's those individual moments where you want to achieve something for yourself, but um. I think it's just those moments in nature with your friends and sharing waves. It's yeah, there's that's the essence of surfing, and that that still does exist. 
yeah, it's yeah, just not not cool. always under the commercialised banner. You that's know? cool. Mm. Like the award, twenty seventeen, big you know, big tube. You go get you know, America with the trophy, but you still got your six mates coming along to have a <laughs> laugh, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wouldn't have known anyone else there otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Shut <Show them> more. <laughs> uh, Very um, good. Mate, I think you got anything else you want to you know. Been a pretty I, I reckon you There's like a pub a, around the corner, mate. Yeah, I was going to say, just a dark room in a corner where I can rock for a little <laughs> while. Mate, don't do that to me. <laughs> mate, we, Thanks mate. for having us very much. Oh, that was mate. amazing. Um, what you're doing, I think your you know, life story, and it's been a bit of a uh, you know, heavier podcast, and we'll, we'll have a bit of an intro and an outro to speak about that. But I think your life experiences, which I've known externally, but been able to share them with people, and um, you know what you're doing as an entrepreneur with Shark Eyes, and and seeing the way that you know you've grown off the back of trauma and life experience, I think a lot of people can take something out of that. You know, I've done a bit of speaking in that space, and I think the thing I always try to bring it back to is like, okay, we know that everyone surfs big waves and dives or plays footy, plays in big moments, um, all, all that stuff. Like that, that's all great, and that's what people see, and people would have. People Googled you, they wouldn't find anything else probably out about you other than shark eyes and winning the big wave, right? Yeah. But that's everybody. That, that That's actually everyone. And that's why it's so relevant to share stories like this because everyone has shit like this, whatever it, it absolutely is. Absolutely everyone. And that's the thing. It's like when, when you're in those moments and, you know, that is a takeaway. It's like if, you know, it's all consuming sometimes but there is – a heck of a lot more after and just little little wins and then life can be so different, you know, like one year, one month, one week later mm. with just that mindset. So, yeah, hope, hopefully, you know, and like I said, that's probably a goal of sharing such intimate secrets is that secret stories um, that just if somebody is in that place that just starts with good company and just tell someone that's, that's the start, that's, that might be the first little trigger is just like, hey, mate, I'm a little bit busted up right now, mm. you know. Give us a hug. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> or, or what the heck's going on? I'm yeah. not happy, you know. just And that that starts the conversation, which then leads to the next little one. But just, yeah, just everyone's doing it. Mm. I know you've been doing a bit of talking around Perth and maybe, you know, nationally, doing some stuff with Russell Ward, great. Yeah. One of the best surfing photographers going around. Yeah, he's you're amazing. Still, you're still amazing doing some man. of that? Yeah, yeah. yep, yep. So we, you know, Brad's our manager. Yep, at ICMI. ICMI. Yep, speakers. Um, yeah, so we're still still doing a little bit of that. So, yeah, that's that's been, same thing, one of the rewarding ones to, to get out and about a bit. Like I love the Mindsight stuff too. We did a Mindsight tour um, last year or the year before um, just speaking to punters on mine sites mm. and you know i love that kind of setting as well whereas you know maybe only 20 or 30 crew and you can sit around like this and have a chat and it's yeah it's really good that mental health aspect of it i love that as well as performance you know love yeah. the performance side of things but the mental health health aspect big, it, big it's, fan of. it's powerful mate so if you've loved hearing what shannon's had to say um and you're a surfer shikeyesglobal.com is it's where us. you can get some of that gear now you got a new wetty range dropping. Yeah, that's sick in about four weeks' time. Which is got, pumped. So I reckon yeah. when this is coming out, yep. it's just dropped. Really? And, um, That'd be epic. Yeah. So um we got we got we got hoods, we got steamers, we got everything you need over there. We've got the stickers. We yeah. got 
heap of thermal rashies yeah. and other bits and pieces. So if you're in the water, whether you're going to the beach for a swim or you're, you know, a hardcore diver or surfer, there's, there's the best gear you can get your hands on and that's what we're passionate about creating. SharkEyesGlobal.com. And if you've enjoyed the chat with Shannon, he's on the bit of a – no, he's not the speaking tour, but he, he does do some of this stuff externally. So if you're a business owner, you're uh, – you know, somewhere around the place you think Shannon can get involved, I'd be be very, very keen to have that happen. So you can either contact us and we can put you in touch with Shannon. You can, you can get in contact with ICMI, which is the speaking bureau, um, or, yeah, just get in touch with us here at Backchat and we'll put you in the right direction. Mate, have you had fun? It's been good. Well, you're not done yet. So <laughs> That's just part like one. Here we go. Part two. No. <laughs> so the way we finish off our episodes, yeah. social media. Yeah. Not social, social. You yeah. like that? Yeah, you yeah, like that? It took me a little while to figure it out. Uh. <laughs> so we asked the people um, about, you know, questions they want to ask. So yeah, heard Dan and I fucking batter you with questions. Mm. We like to put it out to the people. So you're yeah. ready to get the people's questions? Yeah, yeah, hit me. Social media. Um, JYS. Uh, man images, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, how do you stay afloat with balls that big? <laughs> <laughs> you might know this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Um, <laughs> a little bit awkward when you get near your feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Who was that? Uh, J- that? I think you'll know him. J-Y-S- Double M A N. Jai's man images. No, I don't know. That's a, great That's a good question, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Jules sends in. How often do you see animals in a barrel? I once saw a school of salmon. <laughs> yeah, really radical. I've I've never seen an animal in a barrel ever. Oh. I've yeah, always no, you know, dolphins, no, no seals. No, I've never never seen one. That would be awesome to see a school of fish, though. <laughs> Julian Rosario. <laughs> Life by Noxy. Have you ever? Oh, sorry. You go. No, that's right. Have you ever uh, shat yourself on those huge waves? No, I haven't, fortunately. What about, um, I'll add in, what about like uh, pooing in a wetsuit when you're out there for oh, that I thought long? that was what you meant. Yeah, like you must have to Yeah, there's been the that. occasional aqua go down when you're <laughs> 20k out at yeah, sea exactly. and you can't get it's back no to anywhere. Yeah, you got to pull the wetsuit down sometimes. Um, yeah. There's, oh, yeah, there's a guy over in Tassie um, had a really bad wipeout. Um, a few years back and he broke his leg and a few other bits and pieces and he just lost his bowel control as well too. But he's, yeah. And Least they, of his worries. Yeah, they were out to sea like uh, I think about four hours in a boat. That was that Jeez. was radical, that one. Yeah. Four hours in a boat. Yeah. God, that's crazy. Uh, Butterfingers 33. Uh, any special wave that you can remember that was just you by yourself? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, or... That first that first feeling, like, you know, we talk about surfing and is it, you know, the soul of surfing. And I was talking about it with Paddy just the other day, actually, mm. and we started referring to it as the glide. And when I was like my first wave ever, ever I was down uh, in Esperance, crystal blue water, just a little, this little wave that was probably knee high. It was my first ever surfboard, first ever fiberglass surfboard. I've stood up and that feeling the glide for the first time ever where you, you know, you have the whitewash and it's not quite the same, but once you get up onto the face of the face of the wave, it's like ice skating on your surfboard and then that glide, that that one just stands out. Wow. So I'll, I'll never forget that. That's great. Um, the hurricane. <laughs> What's your honest opinion of bodyboarders? I hear as the most fun wins. That's what I love so much about the ocean. There's so many people that, you know, they segregate 
because they think they're cool for doing something <laughs> or the other thing or and it's just like man whoever has the most fun wins it's yeah and there's some bodyboarders that do some radical stuff they can put themselves like we need a jet ski sometimes because of the equipment they can be on a smaller board surf some of these waves and just drop out of the air so there's some bodyboarders that are doing some radical stuff yeah, so I, I like them. The chance for you. I just don't like them in numbers. Great. Travel <laughs> travel by yourself, bodyboarders. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't travel in fives and sixes. That's the only thing I <laughs> um, Salty dog underscore Doug. Uh, any run-ins with locals who wanted to protect their spot? Or I'll additional that. Have you been the local? <laughs> I was going to say that spot? probably is me more so. Um, yeah, like it's. It's funny, that one. Like I, I have a really strong belief that once a place is photographed or videoed, the dynamics of it are forever changed. And so I don't ever want to be a part of photographing or videoing somewhere for the first time. Mm. There's a lot of B-grade surfers that are looking for ego or shots or Instagram shots and a new wave will get a lot of new attention, will get attention, like sometimes even globally. Um, so because their surfing is not that good, they'll try to go to one of these locations to get that publicity, if that mm. makes sense. So I'm, I want my kids and your kids and everyone's kids to go around that next corner and maybe feel like they're the first people ever to be there or surf it. Um, so that, that's forever gone after you photograph and video it. So I'm, I'm probably that guy that <laughs> will put your board back in a board bag <laughs> and say, go home if you've got the video camera out. At one that? of those, yeah, many times. <laughs> <laughs> when we were young, we got into some punch-ups quite often. The guys from Albany would come across. <laughs> yeah. Esperance guys would get into them, you know. So that's real, that stuff. Because you see yeah, that on the you, you see back, that on the movie. Back in the day. Locals so. only. Yeah. But, Everyone's got a bit softer nowadays. Yeah. And even me, like I'm, you know, I'll talk about it instead of throwing down nowadays. Yes. Um, whereas I, I used to not talk that much <laughs> it's it's yeah it'd be like and that send a wider bigger message <laughs> direct, more yeah, direct. No, no. there's Excuse that spot me, um sir. spot in sort of near trig where they all like the old male surfers hang out uh, near yeah. um yep yep there's that pool what's that pool called Madam's pool, Madam's pool right uh, yeah, this, yeah, this yep. is not the same Hemp no it's not guys. this no, is no. not the same no, but these like old <laughs> male boys and they don't like you can't go out there and surf or anything it's just like the for the old boys on the mouths yeah there is a little bit i understand a little bit of localism as far as um people not getting hurt as well too so it would be like uh at some place cuz you got you know surfboards they're hard fins and there is a little bit of etiquette and if you if you get five or six people all going for the one wave and there's boards flying everywhere. People, it can cause injuries and the rest of it. So there, I think there's like an unwritten law in surfing that a lot of people from, for instance, the city or part-time surfers, they don't understand those unwritten laws. So you'll go down to a place like Margaret River, um, you know, there'll be some 60-year-old guys that have lived there forever. If I was 60 and, you know, grey hair and had done 40 years at the same spot, I wouldn't want a 20-year-old guy. I'd want him to show me a little bit of respect as well too, you know, and go, okay, well, you know. And also the communication, like someone will go, going left, going right. And so you, there's communication as to where people are going. And some people don't understand that kind of communication or some of the unwritten kind of laws, mm. if that makes sense. And especially when it gets bigger, if you start throwing three or four people 
on one wave and it's 20 foot, you, you, you start getting in trouble real it's quick. It's dangerous, right? It's dangerous, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why a little bit of localism exists as well too. So people don't put themselves in situations that they shouldn't or are out of their league like because anybody can get a jet ski, you know, or a big surfboard now and go and put themselves in a situation that they are not trained to be in basically. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, I'm a bit of a fan. Mm. Tappy 95, got to finish with this one. <laughs> uh, how does Shannon Worrell like his eggs? Sincerely, the egg man. <laughs> I'm a poached man. Oh, yeah. yeah, if I had if I had to pick one till the day I died, I'd, I'd go poached. Yeah, Good. it's been, been mixed responses with this one. Look, oh, I'm the, the older scrambled. I get. Well, I'm, scrambled. I'm, I'm scrambled. You get more eggs with scrambled. scrambled. You get more eggs. Yeah. I feel like you get more eggs. You might not get more eggs, but yeah, I feel fluffed. like you do. <laughs> but poached, you get a couple of like, how I is. Yeah. Scramble, you got a big, massive, big plate of have shit. Have you got chickens here? Do I have chickens? Yeah. What, at this house? Yeah. No. <laughs> Why would I? We're oh, city people. Like, we don't have animals. We're in connoisseur. We're in the city, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this guy must we have are, some chickens. We, ask, we asked this question all week, <laughs> yes. So I feel like I am a fucking expert. Uh, we are done and dusted. That is yep. Shannon Worrell, ladies and gentlemen. Mate, I can't thank you enough. Was, but, like, Thanks for having us. One of the most epic chats. Yeah, absolutely. So good. Back chat, double underscore on socials. Uh, Shark Eyes. What's Shark Eyes socials? Hunt that for me. Do you know it? Yeah, Shark Eyes Global. There you go. Check that out as well. Um, backchatpodcast.com.au. Backchatstudios.com.au. Get all the stuff there, all our YouTube episodes, all our merch, uh, everything we got to do with Backchat. You check it out there, backchatstudios.com.au. A big thank you to our sponsors. You ready? Fleet Network, bringing you the podcast here on Backchat in 2023. Swimply, Whippersnapper Whiskey, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue mm -hmm. Bet. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras, awesome, uh, Mumba Digital. Mm. Am I missing any? We bloody love you. Thank you very much. Patrons, we love you too. I think we've covered enough today on uh, the main chat. Patrons, yeah, you'll I get it understand early. that. You'll, you'll get, it, get early. it early. We usually give them a little extra, but I think you've given us more than enough mm. today, mate. It's been bloody fun. Shannon Warrell, thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Cheers.